All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Mr. Joe Rust, and I am your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 Two seven five two one six two. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast streaming apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay, in the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 935 points, or 2.9%. The S&P 500 last week was down about 122.5 points, or 3%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 450 points, or 3.8%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 14%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is down 18.1%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 27.4%. Well, it was uh, another tough week on Wall Street, although I will say, uh, did we get a little ray of sunshine in about the last 45 minutes on Friday? And we've talked on this program, program after program, kind of the attacks of the Fridays. And we had a very interesting Friday where we saw the Dow what, down almost 700 points to reverse and to finish the day just barely positive. We saw the S&P 500 get to an intraday low of 38.10 to finish the day slightly in the positive. And the NASDAQ, which had quite a significant sell-off on Friday, it closed down three-tenths of 1%, but quite a bunch of reversals. I mean, big reversals, I would say, on Friday. And it was an options expiration day, so I don't know how much of that was options-induced, how many shorts just covered on Friday to square up for the week heading into the weekend in case something happened that that, uh, their shorts might be, uh, you know, under threat, you know, with some some really good news comes out over the weekend. But I have to ask you guys, was was there any good news this week in the markets? I would Crickets. say there wasn't much. There wasn't much. I mean, there there wasn't much. Now, if we want to start talking technicals right from the very beginning, just some technical analysis and some some verbiage from some analysts that I was reading this past week. 
talking about kind of a, a point in the S&P 500 for it to close at around 38.83. If we can get a close around 38.83, that that could trigger uh, a potential retracement of up to 16%, according to this one analyst. And I would say hedge fund managers like Paul Tudor Jones and Steve Cohen, who are famed folks on Wall Street in the hedge fund industry that really rely on this gentleman's analysis. Uh, there's a big story that came out on Friday in Market Watch that discussed that. So we saw the intraday low on the S&P go to 38.10, and then we saw buying come in a late afternoon for the S&P to finish in the green. Now, like you said, Jeff, it was options expiration. The third Friday of every month is options expiration, so that's where we can see a lot more volatility, or as you said, Jeff, possibly traders covering their shorts. And and I would say, and as we've been talking repeatedly on the Money Wise program, that we're still seeing the traders trading and the algorithms doing what the algorithms do and all of this uh, and a lot of below average volume that we're still continuously seeing. And this past week was no exception of right at average or below average volume. I think on the technical, okay, that's, that's a briefing on the technical side, but on the fundamental side, the story earlier this week was earnings and retail with Walmart then Target, Target. I can't remember Walmart announced Ross, this year, but Target, Ross, and a lot of it was PGX. missing their their top or bottom line was because of supply chain, fuel costs. They bought too, they had too much inventory, hiring practices, a gamut of different reasons uh, why some of these retail stores did not hit their expectations or, or significantly missed, and that caused a little bit of havoc quite a bit of havoc at the beginning of the year. So what is that going to look like for the other retail stocks that are well, announcing in a week or two? Well, Walmart so, is Walmart's, Walmart, I think, is one of the the biggest retailer in the world. Um, I, maybe I'm wrong on maybe one, one, one of them. Huge. One of them, yeah, yes. Top five, and Target's probably top 20. Uh, Target had the worst single day down since the crash in 1987. That is correct. When I was a senior in college. Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty big. I mean, think about that for a moment. So you got these two huge retailers with thousands of people, you know, planning and logistics and hedging all these things and they, and they couldn't get it right. Imagine what the smaller retailers are having, having to face in terms of trying to get it right. And the other thing is, which, which Kramer, you know, really kind of took target to task on this. Where was the warning on all this? Why, why, why were there no warnings about this you know, coming out on these earnings reports? Where, 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 where was the warning? And so you got to ask yourself, okay, so we got these companies not warning. They're just going to spring it on us on the, on the earnings report. And next thing you know, Shazam, the thing, the, the stock's down 25%. I mean, but 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 here's the whole thing that's so that's so interesting though about Target is that they beat their top line revenue, their sales numbers were right in line with expectations as far as year over year sales growth. Their Ford guidance was mid single digit sales growth. Ford guidance, so that was good. Where Target got taken out to the woodshed is they decided to beef up supply on particular items that they felt that the consumer was going to be in short supply of, so they got an abundance of supply. 
They paid all the money to have it trucked in. They stocked the shelves. And then the consumer's consumption behavior for these particular products shifted to something else. So they had an overabundance of supply that they prepared for. So they were trying to prepare and doing the right things. They paid all the money to get it in, but then they had to slash the prices on all this overabundance of supply because of the change of the consumer behavior. So what happened all in all is that the cost of goods sold, the COGS, is what actually compressed their margins by about 3.4%, and they get taken out to the woodshed for it. And I want to pick this up on the other side of the break, and we'll do that right now. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from the Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast or Apple podcast or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, continuing to recap the happenings of Wall Street from last week. And before we went to break, we were just talking about Target because it was the retailers that were really in the spotlight this past week and caused a lot of consternation in the markets, the sell downs and the again, another week of losses. Uh, for the Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ. But before we went to break, it was just kind of breaking, going into the numbers of Target. And what I found so interesting is that when you have good same-store comp numbers year over year, and then you've got good forward guidance, anticipated forward guidance in the mid-single-digit growth, and what Target got wrong is they brought in too much supply of particular products they thought consumers were going to be wanting. The consumer's behavior shifts. They spent all this money. They spent 10.8% overestimates for cost of goods sold. So it squeezed their margins, and they get taken out to the woodshed and slaughtered as bad as Black Monday in October of 1987, as if they're going out of business. I mean, to say it was an overreaction, I feel, of the algorithms, and the traders, I'm just going to say it was a massive overreaction. I, I do have to say one thing. Jeff, in the first segment, was talking about what good happened. Well, if one thing that Target had a lot of is TVs, and they have an overabundance of TVs. Well, now you might be able to get one a little bit cheaper, Jeff, if you go into Target maybe the next week or two. <laughs> so that's a good no, thing. That's a positive. It'll, it'll be on sale. Go to Target and look at – I'm not just saying that because we still are – own Target, but I'm saying yeah, full disclosure. Yeah, we, 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 we own Target. We still own it. We do not own Walmart. But is the market taking some cues from the the shortfalls in in the earnings or the outlook or however you want to look at it with two of the largest discount retailers on the planet and extrapolating that into how truly how healthy is the consumer and I, all week I'm hearing these uh, these predictions that gas you know right now today gasoline on average throughout the United States sells for the most it ever has in any of our lives today, and they're saying Thanks, that, it, that it could be that it could be five or you know I hear these whispers about six dollars a gallon uh, by the end of the summer. 
Now, if any of those predictions come true, I, I would think that would be very challenging uh, for the markets, and that's just gasoline. Diesel's even diesel's even more expensive, and diesel is what runs the economy. You know, it runs trucks, it runs farm trains. equipment, it runs trains, it runs power plants, ships, uh, ships. You know, that, that's running the economy. You know, the, the gasoline runs the consumer, but diesel runs runs the you, economy. You mean, you mean we're not running the economy on EV trucks? No, we are not running. We are not running on solar panels or, or windmills or well, it's hydrogen. Not, you know, you get my unicorns point. and sunshine. Yeah. Unicorns and sunshine. The Although the energy fairy is going to pop out of the ground or and automatically wow. save oh, us oh, and convert oh. everything to EV. Sorry, Elizabeth Warren. Elizabeth Warren. Okay. Elizabeth Warren's younger sister, who runs our energy policy, or I'd say run it into the ground. Um, yeah, we, we can't run trains on rainbows, sunshine, and uh, unicorn dust. So you know the the hydrocarbon industry still has to keep going, and this is laid directly at the feet of the Biden administration. And I don't so, care if we get political, but it's the facts. Okay. So Friday. Intraday, we officially ha- reached the bear market level in the S and P 500, being at least 20% Intraday, down. Yes. 20% down from the highs. We did not close 20% down from the highs, but we we got there intraday. But you know, all this these are new closing lows for the year on a Friday. Uh, we yeah, we're hearing the the drum beat louder and louder. It seems that there's going to have to be higher interest rate increases than maybe what the Fed is indicating. Now, next week, on Friday, we get the Fed's favorite measure of inflation, which is the PCE number, and that comes out a week from today. Uh, It'll be very interesting if that number is still hot. You know, we're a little over three weeks away from the next Fed meeting, and, you know, I don't know what the over/under is for, with you guys. What you think we might have a intraday uh, interest rate, uh, in, intermediate interest rate increase for the Fed? Are they just going to wait, you know, the extra two weeks, you know, to to June before they they do it again? Do y'all are y'all still in the fifty basis point camp? Is there a wager a at stake here? Is it depends? Is there actually something on the table for this? Well, no, no. I say I no. Say if, if there, yeah. You know, I will say this. I say they'll stick to 50 basis points because in June they're also going to start the first stage of their balance sheet roll-off at $47 billion. And I know this past week there was definitely a lot of conversations going amongst analysts on the financial entertainment press is what affect the liquidity pullback with the balance sheet roll-off. So maybe not as much concerned about the interest rate adjustments by the FOMC, but more about the, the market's reaction, the economy's reaction to the removal of liquidity through the balance sheet roll-off. So I know there was a lot of conversations this past week, and so we'll have to wait and see. But as far as an intra-meeting, I think that would be definitely outside the – it would definitely be outside the norm of the, this – group of Fed governors with Jay Powell as the chairman, uh, because they have been so transparent, I would say, from being very communicative to the market as a whole and to the economy and You're as saying a whole. they may telegraph that they're going to do more than 50 basis points. They might. Maybe, maybe in their meeting in three weeks, maybe, but 
I think with all the conversations that took place this past week on the balance sheet roll-off and how the market is going to respond to it, um, I think they just want to take a wait and see. But obviously, it's going to be dependent on the PCE. We get a hotter PCE number next Friday. Um, then maybe they could bring up the conversation about a 75 basis point or three-quarters of 1% increase uh, at the June meeting, maybe, or more. Uh, obviously, if that starts to hit the market, that's probably not going to be um, very good and could see some more selling. And I know Jeff has maybe talked on this program about, you know, we could see the S&P go back to its Valentine's Day uh, high, which is roughly 3,400 Febu- points. Uh, February 2020. February 2020. Yes, of February 2020. And, of course, me being more of the bullish uh, uh, part of the portfolio management team, that's when we started to have the conversation, well, is that the time if we did get to that level where we'd have to start nibbling? Because I know the nibbling was a conversation that was taking place on Friday, uh, particularly in the QQQs, which is the NASDAQ 100 index. Well, one, one yeah, thing Joe. we did look at th- on Friday is in our own portfolios and a moderate asset builder and all, or a, a moderate individually managed we're ahead of where we were in the pandemic as far as our, our equity exposure, meaning we're right around 40, 41% stocks and equities, uh, and the balance of fixing cash. We actually looked at that. I don't know if Jeff knew that, but what we actually looked at that today. And what ahead, you mean no. by ahead is that we have a lighter, we have a lighter allocation to stock right now than we did as we were getting into the depths of the pandemic. So we actually were in the depths of the pandemic, had a little bit higher exposure to stocks than we currently have right now. Because this past week, you know, we unloaded, you know, we'd been reducing some positions that we talked about on last weekend's show. And one of those reduced positions where we were taking profits, we took the last piece of that puzzle out, and that was Lululemon. Still love the company. Fundamentals are rock solid. It would be a great position to be back in, but right now with the way that the market treated the retailers this past week, if Lululemon's report that's coming out week after next is not absolutely pristine and their forward guidance isn't dead on perfect, and with the PE, the price earnings ratio of where Lulu is, if they don't hit every single thing perfect, this could be another stock that will just be taken out to the woodshed and bludgeoned Kyle, just Kyle, like Target was. Kyle used to play baseball. You almost have to go three for three when you're talking about earnings. You know, meaning your revenue right has to now, be, your earnings have to be, and your forecast has to be in line or you're going to get punished. No, I mean, you Joe, know, you basically you have to hit. I mean, you got about a thousand. Exactly. No, you have to. You have to hit the cycle. You have to hit the cycle right now in earnings season, particularly if you're a retailer with the way that Target was just treated. Because you would think with with how they were treated this past week that they were going out of business, which they're not, and they beat their top line revenue and their sales were fine, and their sales growth were fine, and their forward guidance was fine. It was the I compression think, of their margin. It was the I compression think, of the margin. I, I think what the market is saying is retail fundamentals are deteriorating because consumers are deteriorating because they cannot handle these high prices on all these things that they have to have, food and fuel, and that's affecting the, their budget to spend on things other than food and fuel. So I think the market is saying that their fundamentals are deteriorating. 
Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So continuing our conversation, retail, you know, the retailers were really taking out the woodshed this past week, you know, and and I guess this is, you know, Jeff, right at the bottom of the hour and going into the break talking about, you know, the, the strength of the consumer. We've talked about on this program for, you know, months now that there's still a strong consumer Granted, they're now having to shift some of their buying and their spending, obviously spending more money on gas, spending more money on on food. And so the big question is, are they going to continue to have the discretionary income to be buying certain, I guess, you know, discretionary products as opposed to just food and fuel? And the the pace of this deterioration are they going to deteriorate if they do how fast is the deterioration going to take place because we still know there's trillions of dollars that were saved during the pandemic and i know sometimes you take exception when i make that comment but then we also look at the employment picture and the fact that we still have almost two jobs available for anyone looking for a job well i do know Companies like Amazon are looking to cut staff. There's been some hiring freezes that have been announced. So we're starting to hear that more and more. And so there's just this continuous continuous handicapping of are we going into recession? If we do go into recession, when will it be? How deep will it be? Will it be prolonged? Will it be short and sweet? These are all the things that the market is trying to digest. There are a couple – and we were talking about the Fed earlier and – you know what kind of what kind of rate hikes are we looking at? Is it going to be, you know, uh, fifty basis points or whatever. But the thing that the Fed can't control is they can't control supply chain. What's going on in China, and to a lesser extent, what's going on with Russia? Those are a couple of variables that, quite frankly, we you know a lot of people didn't plug in at the beginning of the year, and and China's zero tolerance for COVID. But we're we're seeing the ramifications of that as we as we're talk, sitting here talking on the phone. You look at. You know, all week it's been talking about baby formula, how you can't get that anywhere. There's some pro- there's some serious issues that are going on that have to be addressed one way or the other. And the Fed, just uh, there's only a certain amount of tools the Fed has in their toolbox to help with this situation. That's my point. Well, and, and, and those, you just pointed out some things that could be more bright spots, but we don't know when those bright spots will, will arrive. You know whether you can't bet on them. China, I mean, we can't. No, no, yeah. no, you can't bet on them. Whether China is going to be making a change, as rumors have been floating in June, they're going to be changing 
their COVID policies. Will they or won't they move away from the zero COVID policy? If they move away from it, then that can definitely ease up the supply chains. I mean, when you hear workers sleeping on the floors of the factories, they've been doing it at Tesla, they've been doing it at other factories in China. So if they can move away from that policy, then maybe that could be a ray of sunshine to start alleviating some of the supply chain constraints. But again, the question is, how long they can consumer sustain this? And what this is, is the market? The Fed. Go ahead, Jim. What is what is the market saying right now? The market, the, market would, is, the, the, the Nasdaq wouldn't be down twenty seven percent. The S and P wouldn't be down eighteen percent, and the Dow wouldn't be down fourteen percent for the year if the markets think the consumer is going to be strong, if the economy is going to be strong and getting stronger, uh, that interest rates are going to stay low. That's not what the market anticipates, and the market is, by its very nature, a forward-looking animal, for lack, you know, whether it's a bull or whether it's a bear. Right now, the bear is looking forward and saying, you know what? We think the consumer is not going to be as healthy as it has been, say, at the beginning of 2022. Uh, we're not, we're, we're really not sure that businesses are going to be unhealthy. Therefore, we're not going to give them this premium price-to-earnings ratio uh, valuation that we started 2022 with. At right now, we, we just went under 20, a 20 PE this week, Kyle, I think is what you told me earlier. But that's yes. still, we're still above historic norms, which are somewhere around 15, 16 for, you know, 100 years thereabouts. So we're still hist- above historic norm on price-to-earnings ratio. The Fed is against us. They've only raised interest rates twice for a total of 75 basis points. Uh, the message from the Fed is they're going to keep raising interest rates until they defeat this ugly inflation. And I think we can all agree that 40-year high inflation is ugly with a capital U, and they're going to do everything they can to defeat it. And I'm not that confident that they care that much about the stock market to say, oh, wait, we're going to get it down to 7% and the, the Dow is, or the S&P is down 25%. Well, we're not going to do another rate increase because the Dow's down 20, because the S&P is down 25%. I don't believe that. I, because there isn't anything in their mandate that says anything about we need to keep the, the stock market from going down more than 25% as measured by the S&P. It's, it's about price stability and, fu- and full employment. We're at full employment. We've been at full employment for a while. You know, all these, all these numbers about we got two jobs for, for every person looking for a job. That's all going to evaporate here in the next six months to a year. It's going to, it's going to go. It's going to be gone. You know, it's not going to last forever. But, so, but here's the one thing. Right. But hold on. There's the one thing I was going to say. I mean, we've all been doing this a very long time is that the markets historically overdo it on the upside and they overdo it on the downside. They, it's, it's it, Historically, this is what occurs. Now, I'm not saying that the bottom is in for the market. I would say that we probably have a little bit further to go because you're right, Jeff. The Fed has only raised two times as far as interest rates are concerned. They do have to fight inflation. We've got the full employment. We don't have price stability. And so they probably, they're going to have to continue to be raising rates until we can get this inflation under control. And so I would say, I would say that we're much closer to the bottom 
than the beginning. I would say we're maybe two-thirds of the way there, maybe have a third to go before we get to the end of this. But, you know, the, 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 the bottom line is, is that every single investor, and, I, and it's the oldest thing out there, you know, taking that long-term view, keeping your emotions in check are going to be absolutely critical. And I would say to every single one of our listeners who are, are concerned and emotional about the market, whether you're a pre-retiree, just still in the accumulation phase or you're in the withdrawal phase and you're post-retirement, the question you have to ask yourself is the money that is in my nest egg, do I need every single dollar of that nesting in the next 12 months? Do I need all of that money in the next 18 months or the next 24 months? And the answer is no. And so this is why taking a long-term perspective is absolutely key because what the market has proven going back to the 20s is that 74% of the time it has a positive year, 74% of the time. Now, the further we go down, the further we, we move to the south as this repricing continues to occur, yes, the harder it is going to be to get back to even. Well, the think, harder I, it's going to be, the longer I, it goes on. I think one of the enlightening things is Kyle and I were in the office Friday, and a client came in and reminded us of that. It's like, look, you're not going to take it all out at once. He wasn't really overly stressed about it. and You have to take that He wasn't mindset. stressed at all. And, and he wasn't stressed is, at all. If you are taking out a 4 or 5% withdrawal stream out of your retirement assets, this is not the time to be going buying a new car and taking a big chunk of money out and violating that 4 or 5% withdrawal speed limit. I call it a speed limit. This is Chunk, not the time chunking. you want to do that when the market yeah. is down. You can do a lot of damage when you take out more than you should out of your out of your portfolio or your 401k or your IRA when the market is in a situation like it is right now. And it could take you a heck of a lot longer to get back to where you were before when you do that. So that's right. And 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 Joe, what you're talking about is what we've talked on this program. It's called chunking. This is definitely in the kind of market conditions that we're facing right now as this repricing is continuing and you know moving, you know, with the S P trading intraday on Friday into a bear market, this is definitely, like you said, Joe, not a time to, to take a big chunk of money out of your portfolio to be making these large purchases because it goes back to the same kind of visual I give everybody is you have to think of your portfolio as the golden goose. The bigger your golden goose, the bigger the golden eggs it's going to produce. That's the law of large numbers. And so if you take a big chunk when we're at this market pullback, as the market turns and starts to head back north, you have a smaller golden goose to create those golden legs to get you back to zero. So you're only creating a deeper hole for yourself by chunking your portfolio. Is there something you wanted to say, Jeff? Well, since I have about 30 seconds to say it, uh, the average bear decline, the average bear, bear market decline going back to the crash of 1929, almost a hundred years of market history is 40%. The average duration of a bear market beginning to end is 1.3 years. We'll call it 15 months. That's the averages. Uh, we haven't had a, we haven't had a, a bear market longer than a year since the global financial crisis in, uh, beginning in October of 2007 through March of 2009. So to say it's been a long time since we've had a bear market, a real bear market, it has been a long time because I don't I don't consider COVID a real bear market. I call that kind of a crash. 
kind of a flash bear market, yeah. if you will. Flash bear market. There you go. A, exactly. a, yeah, flash a flash bear market. But the one thing that with the repricing and interest rates being raised by the Federal Reserve to tap down inflation, this is not a systemic failure of a banking system or the freezing of the bond no, market like totally we saw di- in 2008. It's a totally different bear market. Okay. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at one 800 275 2162. If you like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Moneywise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So, in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Moneywise program, so Again, you know, we were just telling a story in the last segment, had a client that, that came into the office on Friday, and I just asked him, I said, how are you feeling about everything? And he said, I'm fine. He's like, I'm really not paying much attention. He's like, that's why I hired y'all. I've got my team to be making those day-to-day decisions in the portfolio. And he, like Joe said, he just reminded us, and, you know, I remember, Joe, this is something that you talk to a lot of clients about during all kinds of market conditions, but primarily this conversation comes up when we have these emotional pullbacks or potentially going into a bear market condition is that when you look at your nest egg, whether you're still saving for retirement or in retirement, you're not needing every single dollar that you have saved in the next 12 months or the next 18 months or the next 24 months. What the market has proven throughout the history of the market is that it recovers. It recovers and grows. Now, the period of times, it's different. It varies. Sometimes we can be in a bear market like from 73 to 83 for 10 years, you know, where the market's moving sideways. We can have a year or two where we're in recession like an 01 to 02, and the market doesn't do well. But the markets have historically and always will recover. It's just we can't tell you the amount of time that it's going to take. So one of the things you said was about the – our, our client coming to the office say he wasn't worried because he knew that we were on top of it. But what is what have we been doing this year? We've been very we've we've been getting defensive. We've gotten more defensive this week. We also raised our uh, investment shorting the long bond, meaning we're betting on interest rates going higher because it, long uh, long maturity interest rates have actually come down here in the last couple of weeks because there's been this flight to safety. With, with money coming out of stocks and going into bonds and lowering yields. And so we took the opportunity to raise our investment in long bonds because interest rates are going up. There's, I mean, there, there's no, I mean, you want to bet the house on something, interest rates are going higher. I mean, and that, that's going, that has effects on the economy, has effects on consumers. Um, just to, it, has, it has an effect almost as, as much as inflation has on, on, the, on the economy and consumers. So we felt that was a that was an easy uh, increase in our particular investment in that uh, security. But one thing I'd ask all of our listeners is, if you're not if you're managing your own money, I hope you've been listening to some of the things we've been saying on the show, and I hope you've been getting defensive in your portfolio, and I hope you've been paying attention. But if you have someone that manages your money, and they haven't been, I'd have to question: Well, what, what is this person doing? 
Because you know, just like Kyle said, yes, the market's going to recover, but that doesn't mean you sit around and do nothing. Because sometimes the best offense is a good defense. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what we've been doing this year. It's about keeping the hole shallow. Shallow. This, this is not a run-of-the-mill correction. This is not what this is. This is a real, live, dirty, smelly bear market. And I just gave you the averages. 40% down is the average bear market in the last 90-some-odd years. I'm not saying we're going to get to minus 40. I'm just telling you that's the average. The ones this century, the global financial crisis, the S&P was down 51% high to low. The tech bubble was minus 45%. This kind of reminds me of a 1970s type, uh, the OPEC oil embargo, which raised gas prices. Well, this is a different reason for gas prices being up. But it, it, but it got high gas prices was also part of that 1973, 1974 bear market, which was down about 29% high to low and lasted a year and a half. The, when the Paul Volcker and the boys at the Federal Reserve did everything they could to destroy inflation by raising interest rates, the Fed funds got up to 20%. At the high, it took them years to get inflation down. And there was a bear market beginning in November of 1980 that lasted a little over a year and a half. And the S&P was down 43% top to bottom. That's when the 10-year treasury got to like 14% yields. We're not going to 14% yields. I'm just trying to give you comparisons. Or, or to 20% to interest similar, rates either. Right, to, to, to 20% Fed funds rates, yeah. We're not going there I'm just, either. I'm just trying to give you some color on some similar types of market conditions in the past. Now, not every bear market is created equal. There is no systemic issues that we're aware of. That doesn't mean that there isn't a you know big hedge fund that could fail if we have another really you know a thousand point or fifteen hundred point down day on the Dow. You know, is there is there a hedge fund out there and, and a bank that's exposed and you know there could be some you know systemic risk on a company by company level, but not the you know the entire financial system. That's not what, there's not what a we're lot. At. There are a lot of moving parts to this. If, Technically, the S&P is not down 20%, but if you look at the average component of the S&P, what is it, 50% of the stocks in the S&P are down 25% or more? But what I'm getting at, this, this, if you want to call it a bear, has a lot of different moving parts. That's what makes it a little bit different than, you know, in the last 10 or maybe 15, 20 years. A lot of different variables uh, that have attributed to where we are right now. Well, and our economy has definitely evolved since the 1970s as far as technology, consumer behavior. There, there are, there's some maybe similarities, but there's also, I think, a lot of big differences. You know, this is not the same economy of the 1970s. And, you know, having conversations with dad, you know, this inflation is different than the inflation we've seen in the past. And so, you know, there, there are certain playbooks that we can go to, but then there are certain playbooks that we're writing as we go and use as experience. And this is what you have to do as a money manager. The way that well, you learn money is by being in the trenches and, and learning from mistakes, learning from your victories. But there's also periods of time where you play defense, as Jeff said. Right. Our shield has been up, and it has been up this entire year. And there might be a point in time 
Maybe after the summer, maybe going to early fall, where we'll have an opportunity to pick up our sword. Maybe if we get the market around for the S&P to that 3,400-point level, maybe there'll be a little bit of nibbling and slowly dollar-cost averaging in. But back to Jeff's point, if you're working with someone in the financial service industry and they're just telling you to stay the course, not doing anything in your portfolio, and have done nothing so far year to date, the big question you got to ask them is why? Why? Because like Jeff said, there are times where defense is the best offense. It's about well, keeping your hole. It's about keeping your hole shallower. It's about keeping your hole shallower. That's what builds and maintains wealth over the long term. Joe, you got a few seconds. No, I just got a go We're talking about a lot of football analogies, but if you have a playbook, sometimes you got to have an audible. So if your advisor, whoever you're working with, has an audible, you got to ask yourself why. I see a blitz coming. Well, you better audible out of that and run a screen or a draw. And what is your what is your advisor doing for you? That, that's that's all I got. You're, 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 you're don't, you sure don't want to get sacked. You, know? you don't that's want to right. get sacked. Well, Dad would be proud of your football analogy. Well, we're coming up to the top of the hour break, so we're going to take the break, go into the news. When we come back, I'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John, my brother, Jeff, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving in to the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com, or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. If you missed the first hour of Money Wise, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise programs. You can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at davidsoncap.com. Thank you, Jeff. You're welcome. So being in our second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, a lot of times we like to reserve the second hour for investor education. Um, And I found an interesting article that came from the Market Watch from the Wall Street Journal titled, Five Things... Every retirement portfolio should have, and for any longtime listener of the money, or for any longtime listeners in the Money Wise program, uh, you know that we definitely love our lists, our countdown lists here on the Money Wise program. And so I thought this would be a good article to go into because I, I, I know looking through all five of these things that they're saying that what the, the writer of this Market Watch, Watch article is saying that every retirement portfolio should have, I know that we can definitely add our two cents and increase the level of investor education provided in this article. So looking at number one for the five things every retirement portfolio should have, 
and number one being consistent income. And I know that we have talked for years now here on the Money Wise program, the lack of consistent income, or I should say decent income for retirees, particularly those that have higher levels of fixed income uh, inside their portfolio because of the historically low interest rate environment that we have. And what we have discussed on this program many times before is to not necessarily be completely focused on fixed income as providing that consistent income. And that there are a lot, there's a multitude of higher dividend-paying stocks that can produce consistent annual income, but also give you the upside potential of price appreciation of the individual stock. And kind of some of the go-tos in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and I know, Dad, you've talked many, many times on this program of the dogs of the Dow. And to explain to our listeners the dogs of the Dow again, uh, the dogs of the Dow are the, uh, at the beginning of each year, they identify the five or ten highest dividend-paying stocks in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and they become either the five dogs of the Dow or the ten dogs of the Dow. And the theory is you own those ten stocks for the year, or five stocks if you're going with a small dog, and they will outperform the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and you'll receive consistent income. And then, and there again, if you also get price appreciation over the time that you own that stock, it's just extra icing on the cake. And again, when you look at the dogs of the Dow, when you see the 10-year Treasury yield where it is today, majority, if not all of the, the dogs of the Dow are having an annual div, a higher dividend yield than that of the 10-year Treasury in this current time. I know we haven't seen the list of the dogs of the Dow here recently, but the first stock that always pops up into my head is AT&T. Well, AT&T is still number one. And uh, and I just actually looked at it a couple days ago, and it's right around a 5.4% dividend well, yield. Well, you can say it's more than 5 I think it had a pretty good day on pretty good day the other day so yeah it is something over five percent but the one thing i would say about this call you know the five things that we're looking for here in a retirement account a consistent income now in in days gone by obviously you would get your consistent income from the bond portfolio and that was true from the time uh in the late 70s all the way through the financial crisis back in in 08 but because, as you said, because of the policy that the Federal Reserve has been following, which is basically a zero interest rate policy, uh, this has brought all bond yields down, and therefore people who could have got consistent income from their bond portfolio, they can know, they can get consistent income. I was going to say the problem yeah. is it's not a level at which they can be retired that, that they can survive on unless and as we've talked on this program. If you're one of those lucky few that has a portfolio with asset sizes so large and your income needs so modest and you also don't care about that pesky little thing called monetary inflation taking away your purchasing power, then you know you could look at having a majority of fixed income in your portfolio and be okay in retirement, but there's just so few and far between people and investors that are in that position. So bonds will still, like you said, Dad, provide that consistent income. It's just most likely not going to be at the level that's going to sustain you in retirement. And so that's when you have to look at diversifying your portfolio 
And the first place to look to create that income is higher dividend-paying blue-chip stocks like an AT&T. And the first, I would say, really one of the first best places to go would be to track down the dogs of the Dow well, I think for any given year. That's that's the easiest place easiest to begin. Place. And these are all household names. So I think a typical bond investor would feel more comfortable in some of these names than names that they're unfamiliar with. Okay. So, again, five things every portfolio retirement. I want to add a little yeah. bit of something to that okay. because here, especially since the financial crisis, we there there have been a real focus among some investors on high income and focusing on stocks like master limited partnerships or illiquid privately traded REITs or REITs in general. There's been a real focus of buying some of those types of securities and just for and just ignoring when they go down in value. Many of the the, the, the mesh limited partnerships, some of the REITs had large declines in values and saw their yields go up and for whatever reason the the, the investor that held those those securities was just focusing solely on the income and not really concentrating on what's happening to the value of the security. And having a 12 or 15% yield is all fine and good, but there's a reason why they're yielding 12 or 15%. Maybe you bought it when it was yielding 8, and now it's gone down 20% or 30% in value. And so, uh, yeah, it's all fine and good that now it's yielding 15%, but if you've lost 30% in principal value, what have you really made? You've made nothing. You've actually lost money. That's not as common as we're seeing now when we're reviewing client portfolios, but we know that was an issue very much in the past, and we pointed that out to a lot of investors, and a lot of investors lost sight of the fact that you can actually have declines in values in some of these higher-yielding names. And one, one more thing before we go to break is that dividends on stocks in the current tax environment are tr- can be treated more uh, – uh, there's a better treatment of, of, of taxation – uh, on on those dividend paying stocks, and you might otherwise get in uh, in uh, interest on bonds. Okay, well, let's take a commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So we're continuing this hour on the five things every retirement portfolio should have. Number one was consistent income. And, Jeff, I'm glad you brought up, right before we went to commercial break, the REITs or real estate investment trusts and these master limited partnerships and some of the portfolios we've reviewed where the prospective client has been glowing about such a high yield and high return that they've been getting in income but not paying attention to the value of the actual original investment and the principal devaluation that they've had and i've said i've actually seen this when i've talked to somebody that said oh kyle look at the great 10 15 12 percent 
uh, dividend yield I'm getting. And I'm sa- and I said to them, but you've lost 50% or 75% of the value of your original investment. And then I see the look come over their face saying, oh my gosh, I just realized that I was, like you said earlier, focused on yield and not looking at the total overall picture. So for any listener that's in these types of investments, you know, pay attention to the underlying value of your original investment because it's not it, it's not worth getting a 10% dividend yield if you've lost 50 or 60% of your original investment. Um, and then also for the real estate investment trust, the illiquidity issues that we have been running into right. during portfolio reviews that we've done here at Davidson Capital Management, you have to read the fine print. In every perspective, as we've, as we've always said, if it takes 100 or 150 pages to explain the investment vehicle you're getting ready to buy, you should not only get up, but you should get up and run. So, number two. Number two. Five things that every retirement portfolio should have. The number two item is preservation of capital. And there has been, really, especially here since 2013 and the big gains that we had in 2013, there's been this obsession in the media with trying to call the top and that all you know it it's it, that's all it. these this all these it. yeah this is it it can't go any higher we'll go we'll data mine all these statistics to find statistics that fit our argument that says that you should be getting out of stocks now because they've had this tremendous run since uh, March of 2009 when the financial crisis basically ended and this bull market run began and there's just been this obsession with 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 folks needing to, in essence, board up their portfolios, get ready for that coming storm, get ready for that hurricane that's coming. And you know, preservation of capital is certainly something that every investor should be concerned about. But it doesn't mean that you should go out and you should completely liquidate your portfolio every time. Or within a month or so, every time the Dow or the S&P or the NASDAQ reaches an all-time high, because that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the all-time high for the portfolio. The way that you preserve capital to us is you have a balanced portfolio. You have a portfolio of stocks. You have a portfolio, and in that same portfolio, you have some bonds and you have some cash. So if one asset class, say stocks, is not having a particularly good day, usually that means that bonds are having a particularly good day. Or if stocks don't have a particularly good quarter, usually that means that bonds are having a a, a good quarter. So one will offset the other in, in some respect, not dollar for dollar. But most folks that had big losses and that suffer big losses in market downturns don't have port- have portfolios that are too highly allocated to one asset class, whether it be stocks and what's getting ready to happen and what's what really started in 2013 for those investors that had high allocations to bonds, they thought that being invested in bonds, if they got out, say, in the in the, uh, the the heights of the financial crisis in 08 and 09, and they went to their financial professional and said, I want out. I don't care what it, what it, where things are valued at. I don't care where the markets are. I don't care what the news is. I don't care what the Fed's doing. I just want out, and I want out now, and I want all my money in bonds. And they were, and they've probably felt fairly good through 2009 and 10 and 11 and 12 because interest rates were falling. And so they were seeing the value of their portfolio go up. Now, stocks went up a lot more than bonds, but then you get in 2013, 
and you know, and and suddenly this preservation of capital goal of owning fixed income because that's what that's how I'm going to preserve my portfolio. I'm never going to have to worry about this again because my financial professional told me that if I own bonds, that I I wasn't going to lose any value in my portfolio. Wrong. 2013 comes along, and these investors that had high allocations to to fixed income found out that yes. You can lose money in bonds. And, and one other thing I wanted to add to that, Jeff, you know, again, talking about a balanced account, I mean, David's, you know, we're in our 25th year of business, and our philosophy from day one and will continue to be the philosophy for 25 plus years to come is that of being a balanced manager. And when we talk about being a balanced manager, we're not talking about going to a portfolio and saying, okay, Mr. or Mrs. Client, 60% of your money is in stocks, 40% of your money is in fixed income and cash, and we're going to set it and forget it. That is not what we're talking about, and we do not advocate that in any way, shape, or form, even for our listeners that are potentially managing their money on their own. When we talk about a balanced account, it's an actively managed balanced account to be able to make adjustments when adjustments need to be made, just like we do as professional money managers for our clients here at Davidson Capital Management. You know, there are certain market conditions where we want to be a little more overweighted in stocks than we are in fixed income, like we're like our current conditions right now in the interest rate environment where we have some of our highest allocations to stocks and our minimum allocations to bonds in the history of our firm right now. But then also when the winds and the tide shift and it's time to have more fixed income exposure because we're in a more normalized interest rate environment, then that's when you need to make your adjustments. It's not just about setting it and forgetting it in a balanced portfolio. You have to be actively managed in order to be successful over the long term. And if there's any, if there's one kind of statement that I use with prospective clients and our clients here at Davidson Capital Management that I'd like to convey to all of our listeners is that the way to build long-term wealth in a portfolio, it's not how well your portfolio does in up years, it's how shallow you can keep your hole in down years. And here's just a quick mathematical example. If you lose 50% of the value of your account, and I know we've run across some folks here that have come through our front door that have been in that situation, if you lose 50% of the value of your account, you have to make a 100% return just to get back to where you started. That's why keeping your hole shallow, being in an actively managed, balanced portfolio is what's going to help build long-term wealth in your account. And if you don't feel that you have the competency to do that, then you need to go out and search for a competent, registered investment advisor, someone that has discretionary control that can actively manage those assets for you to help protect your portfolio over the long term. So number two was preservation of capital. Uh, Number three of the five things every retirement portfolio should have is liquidity. And boy, I don't know how many times we have had this conversation with prospective clients uh, over the years here at our firm. And liquidity is something that I want each and every one of our listeners to think about, particularly those listeners that have traditional pension plans, And for listeners that are thinking about retiring in the short term, in the near term, and have been out doing their research of what financial professionals they possibly would want to be working with as they transition into retirement, who are shoving down your throats annuities. And any longtime listener of the Money Wise program knows our absolute disdain for annuities of any way, shape, or form. And also, in essence, when pension 
recipients decide, you know what, I want to start receiving those monthly payments from my pension, you have now turned those assets that you've worked your entire career to build in that pension into an annuity. But guess what these two, these two things don't give you? They don't give you liquidity. And the, the pension topic is a topic I've wanted to have here on the Money Wise program for quite some time now. We always seem to be running out of time, and I know we're coming up to the bottom of the hour, so I'm going to say as much as I can before we go to the bottom of the hour break and come back. I'll continue my thought. But any listener of our program that that is lucky enough to have a traditional pension where it's growing and building value and it's going to be there when it comes time for you to retire – the one piece of advice that we have given our prospective clients through the years of service that we've provided is it's always the best idea to gain control of your assets at retirement, meaning not taking the annuity payments from a traditional pension. Because once you elect to take those pension payments, and let's just say in this example you decide I'm going to be receiving $1,500 a month, that is what you're going to receive for the life of that payment schedule. Now, if you decide that you want to receive your pension in a single life payment, that's going to give you the biggest monthly payment. But guess what happens if you pass away the next year or six months after you make that decision? If you're married, your spouse receives nothing. And if you have children, your children receive nothing. And those assets that you worked your entire career to build goes right back into the pension, is redistributed to other employees in the future. Um, that's if you choose the single-life payout. Now, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break, so when we come back from the break, I want to go into the other payout options that retirees have in pensions and why you should be, if you have the ability to take a lump sum distribution from your pension, you need to be doing that in order to keep your liquidity. And we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after the news. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing the five things that every retirement portfolio should have, number one was consistent income, number two was preservation of capital, and before we went to the bottom of the hour break, we were talking about liquidity, and I was taking a little sidebar discussing pensions, uh, traditional defined benefit plans that still quite a few listeners of the Money Wise program are lucky enough to receive or have the ability to receive pensions. Um, this really, this this whole discussion is really going out to you. And, and the the piece of advice that we give uh, prospective clients that come through our door is that if your pension allows you the ability to take a lump sum distribution from that pension, to take it because that then gives you the liquidity, but it also gives you full control of those assets that you possibly spent twenty five to forty plus years building and earning over your career. And so before we went to break, I was talking about the different pension payouts and some of the drawbacks of them. So we talked about the single life payout. You start receiving that payout, something happens to you, God forbid, six months later you pass away, nothing goes to your heirs or if you're married to your spouse. So that's not a very good benefit, but it gives you the highest monthly payout. 
Option number two is a survivorship benefit. So, again, the payout's going to be less than option number one. And so if something were to happen to you, then it would go to your spouse. But here's something you need to think about under that option. God forbid something happened to both you and your spouse in a common incident, then guess what? Nothing goes to your heirs, and those monies are then redistributed to other employees that are part of that pension. Then a lot of times you have a third option. And there's multiple options, but I'm going to touch on the top three. Then option number three is you have a survivorship benefit, and then past that you have a beneficiary benefit. So if something were to happen to you and your spouse in a common accident or incident, then your beneficiaries would receive the remaining balance of your pension. But again, your monthly payout would be less. And you might be thinking, well, Kyle, those are three pretty good three options, three, three pretty good options. Why wouldn't I go that direction? Well, here's something you also need to keep in mind with all three of these options. Once you elect to receive that pension, in this example, let's say it's $1,500, that is what you're going to be receiving for the rest of your life or for the rest of these payout elections that you've made. Well, there's something out there called monetary inflation that a lot of folks that feel this high level of comfort and security with receiving this monthly benefit check from their pension don't realize is that that $1,500 you're receiving a month, every month that goes by, that $1,500 buys a little bit less. Now, imagine receiving that payment for 20, 25, 30 years. I can assure you 30 years from now, $1,500 is going to be buying a heck of a lot less than it can today. And so someone who's a pension recipient who's thinking about annuitizing and taking that monthly payment needs to think about what we just discussed, but also monetary inflation eroding the purchasing power of that check because they're not adjusted for inflation. And you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind. That's why we always recommend to take the lump sum distribution, the cash option distribution, and put that money to work for you because it gives you the liquidity, it gives you the access, and it gives you the ability to pass those assets down to heirs. And what if you, let's say you take the election and you're 62 years old, 63 years old, and a couple of years you're getting the $1,500 a month, but something happens when you turn 65 and... You need more than $1,500 a month. Yeah. Can't do anything. Can't do anything. Or how about this? How about the total opposite? How about if you have, usually when you re, when you retire from an organization, you might have a traditional 401K and a pension. A lot of the refineries here in Corpus Christi have two parts to their retirement. Well, let's just say you have enough in your 401K to live off of in retirement, and you don't really need to touch the pension. Well, if you let's say you just let that pension money accumulate. And you didn't make, and you elected to just have it all rolled into one account. You you uh, put it to work. You for put it. you put it to work. You don't have to start taking distributions from even your four hundred one k or your pension retirement until you reach the age of seventy and a half under current law. So flexibility, and 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 that's not one of these one of the. Uh, it should be five, a slash. It should it be should, liquid, it should be liquidity, liquidity slash flexibility. That's right. And by committing yourself to a stream of payments, no one knows what's going to happen in their life 10 years from now, 20 years from now. A year from now. A year from now. I mean, six months from now. Life can change in the blink of an eye. So why tie your hands into something? Why, why, Why make a decision right now that could affect you a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road? You're just reducing your flexibility by 
committing yourself to to a taking a pension uh, payout in in the form of uh, payments, which is in essence an annuity. They don't ever call it that, I know. which is very interesting. It's not. It, when you when we see the paperwork and we advise clients that come to our office, it never says annuity. It's just this is going to be your payment for the your life, life your for your heir's life, for your spouse's life. It doesn't say that this is in essence an annuity, but that's exactly what it is. Well, and, and again, the technical definition of annuity is a steady stream of periodic payments. Well, guess what? We have clients at Davidson Capital Management that are taking monthly distributions from the assets we manage and, in essence, have created a quote-unquote annuity for themselves, by, but, but doing it by not owning an annuity and having full access to their money. In case complete liquidity, complete, complete flexibility, flexibility, and complete access at all times. And the longest our clients would go without getting their hands on their assets in case, God forbid, an emergency is three business days. That's it. And so this pension conversation, again, goes right in line with annuities, and it really, again, adds to our disdain to annuities. And as Jeff said, you know, taking those, those monthly payments, you're handcuffing yourself. You're handcuffing yourself, and you're not giving yourself an out. And so we highly recommend before any decisions like this are made to pick up the phone and call us to at least receive an education on what your options are because I can tell you this, and I've run into this with a couple of our clients, Jeff. Some companies that provide pension benefits do not advertise that there is a lump sum distribution option at all. They do not discuss it. I know one of our clients in right. Houston, we actually, he, our client had to make a phone call and put the hot coals to somebody on the other end of the phone before they finally admitted, yes, sir, you're correct, we do have a lump sum distribution option. But on all the paperwork that I assisted our client in filling out prior to his retirement, didn't say it anywhere. And it ought to be against the law for employers to, 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 to mislead Absolutely. their retirees that, that that option's not available to them. And the reason that they do it is they want to keep as much money in their pension plans as they can so that the 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 corporations that make co- corporate contributions into the into the employees pension plans by keeping more money in it they don't have to contribute as much as right. as a corporation which improves their profitability that's right and so there's a incentive for less than full disclosure to occur when it comes time to retire that's right it's not very common but it does happen it does happen so Again, five things every portfolio retirement should have. Number one, consistent income. Number two, preservation of capital. Number three, liquidity. And you know, for we, Jeff, we, slash flexibility. Yeah, flexibility and, and kind of maybe reiterating what we had said in some of the, in some of the previous uh, uh, number one and number two about liquidity and, and the, the private, place, private placements are, the, are one of the biggest violators of of liquidity. Of liquidity. Yeah. Uh, we've especially private placements sold REITs. We've seen a lot of them sold in the financial since the financial crisis, and the rules have actually changed since we really started talking a lot about them. Uh, they're required to report you know, the, the change in value of those private placement REITs, where in the past that they weren't really supposed to. If you have, if you're signing up for an investment, and it has a 200-page prospectus. 
you need to start asking some hard questions to the person on the other side of the table about how liquid this investment is. And if you can't get your money out of it in three business days or less, then you have to really question whether this is an investment that you should be in. A lot of these private placements and a lot of these private placement REITs especially, you can't get out of them for up to three to six months after you put in a request. And actually, I've read on the front page of prospectuses for these private placement real estate investment trusts or REITs, in bold letters, now, granted, the, the print is about an eight point, so it's almost microscopic, but it's in bold. And it says that this is not an actively traded security, does not have an active open market for liquidity, and liquidity can be significantly and is significantly reduced. And, Jeff, I know you have personal experience with clients here at Davidson Capital Management where it took our client almost six months to receive benefits back from a private placement real estate investment trust that was purchased so you you've been around the block a few times with these in the 25 years we've managed money we have we only invest in securities that are publicly traded that that have that you can look up online that have a symbol you can whether it's a mutual fund whether it's a stock whether it's an exchange traded fund whether it's a bond they're all publicly traded they're all highly liquid investments and we would not recommend to most investors, unless you're very sophisticated and you have a, a portion of your portfolio that we would call your quote-unquote play or Vegas money, that you avoid investments that are not publicly traded. Okay. So, again, when we're, we're getting ready to take our last commercial break for this weekend's Money Wise program. When we come back, we'll be wrapping up. Five things every retirement portfolio should have. We've done consistent income, preservation of capital, capital liquidity slash flexibility and we've got number four and five coming up after this you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management we'll be back after the break welcome back you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management if you'd like to learn more about us you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on monday to discuss your personal financial situation you can reach us in our local corpus christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two and if you'd like to send us an email you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com so in the last segment of this weekend's money wise program i want to wrap up five things every retirement portfolio should have so far we've covered consistent income number two preservation of capital number three liquidity and then jeff has added slash flexibility Number four is competitive costs. Now, we have talked, oh, my gosh, how many? I mean, we've, we're down in our ninth year of doing the Money Wise program here on 1360 KKTX, and we have talked about all the different ways people in the financial service industry are paid, from commissions to commissions paid on products that are sold. And at Davidson Capital Management, as a registered investment advisor, we are completely fee-based. Uh, and our max fee being 1% of total assets per year as far as our management fee is concerned, and our fee goes down from there based on assets under management. Um, and the one thing that we always recommend to anyone looking to hire an investment professional is to search out the registered investment advisor that is on a fee-based schedule, not a commission-based schedule. Um, and really pay attention. I know from just looking at our competitors in the marketplace here in South Texas that at Davidson Capital Management, we're anywhere from 25 
to 50% less expensive per year when it comes to our management expense. And so that's something that you'd always pay attention to. And understand that when you're working with someone that is in a fee-based uh, structure, a fee-based arrangement, that really puts them in the same side of the table or in the same boat as you because it gives them the, the incentive. The more money they make for you, the more money they make for themselves, and then if the value of the portfolio goes down, so does their management fee. So pay attention to competitive costs, ask the questions, and and just really read the fine print. Don't be afraid to ask whatever whoever the financial professional is you you may be working with how much they're going to make for managing your money or selling you a particular product. There's that that's that shouldn't be a question that you should be afraid to ask. And 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 the person on the other side of the table should not him haul around or should not try to deflect the question away because cost and what you're paying in the portfolio in terms of management fees and expenses and there's lots of other ways that fees get collected from investors that we didn't even go we don't really have enough time to go through in this last segment of the show they can add up and they're not always obvious and you have to as Kyle says dig deeper to figure it out uh, for folks that are involved with wrap accounts at major brokerage houses and they go by different names depending on what brokerage house you're in many of those wrap accounts start off at two two and a half percent per year and go up from there That's right. uh, we've seen many wrap accounts that exceeded three percent of assets under management and don't even get a startist started about annuities. Well, I, I, and I'll, I'll kind of leave this okay. number four segment with this. If anyone that you're working with is paid through commissions and you ask them how much commissions they're going to make and their answer is nothing, that's a flat-out lie. That is a flat-out lie. They're not people doing don't it work. out of the goodness of yeah, their people heart. People don't work for nothing. They don't work for nothing. So keep that in the back of your mind. So the fifth and final thing that every retirement portfolio should have, and again, see this and we talk about this time and time again, is long-term growth. The bottom line is, is as you get closer to retirement, and as Jeff said at the, the beginning of this second hour, you can't just board up your portfolio. You cannot say, well, I'm two or three years away from retiring, so now I'm just going to move everything 100% into fixed income. Now I'm safe. Yeah, preservation of capital should not overshadow long-term growth. You always need growth. Whether you're 60, 70, 80, 90 years old, you need some form of investment growth in your portfolio because that investment growth is what's going to help offset monetary inflation over the long term. That's why growth is so necessary and is a requirement for any successful portfolio. And I will say this. The last few 401ks that I've reviewed for prospective clients, I've been noticing just here recently a trend, especially with how well the markets did in 2013, where I've seen folks that are you know, in their mid to late 50s that are sitting 70, 80, 100% of their 401k in either cash, fixed income, or the stable value fund because they feel that, you know what, I've grown my 401k to four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars and I'm not willing to take any more risk, so I'm just gonna put it all in the stable value fund yeah. and ride off into the sunset and that is the worst thing you could do. They're allowing preservation of capital to overshadow long term growth. 
And and we've always said, don't be confused with preservation of capital with return of purchasing power. The the lack of thought towards monetary inflation is is a bad thing that you that you could do for your portfolio. Not paying attention to that, not realizing that loss of purchasing power is a loss. Well, it's not going to show it on your statement, but it is a loss. One thing that that I think we could safely say as financial advisors is that these days of the CPI running around two percent are just about over, yeah. and we have no way of knowing how high inflation is going to be in the future, but it's definitely not going to be at this level. Another reason to not say, oh, $700,000 is enough, and I'm just going to, as you say, ride into the sun. I mean, that the funny thing is you think you're playing it safe. You are actually taking a big risk. You think you're being safe when you're doing this. You are not. And you could be doing long-term irreparable damage to your retirement portfolio. And so if you find yourself in that position and you might be past the age of 59 and a half, one thing I just kind of quick sidebar to throw into this, if you're participating in a 401k and you're past the age of 59 and a half, most standard prototype 401k plans allow you to take what's called an in-service distribution. And that allows you to roll out the balance of your 401k hire a professional money manager like a Davidson Capital Management to manage those assets for you while you are still working for your current employer and also allowing you to continue to participate in the 401k to receive any of the matching or profit sharing dollars that your employer is providing. And we have done this, we have done this with a multitude of clients over the years, but again, it is something that is not advertised by the 401k provider that you have the ability to do this. So if you're in this past 59 and a half years old, you're not planning on retiring anytime soon, you know, it never hurts to pick up the phone and make a call and to learn about what your options are with your 401k because if you've amassed four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars or more in your 401k and you're nervous about the future and you don't have the wherewithal to manage it yourself, there could be some options out there for you to hire a professional manager to oversee those assets. So long-term growth is an absolute key. Do not board up your portfolio. You'll need growth in that portfolio for the rest of your life. So with that, we would like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's MoneyWise program. Again, if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday, you can reach us in our local Corpus Christi office at 906 906- zero zero seven zero or toll free at one eight hundred two seven five two one six two for my father john and my brother jeff this is kyle davidson saying have a fantastic weekend and to your financial health we will talk to you next week